We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. We are back on the live stream for YouTube and back on your podcasting feed after a uh, uh, about a 10-day vacation uh, for myself. Uh, hard to find the right time to take those, but uh, wanted to take advantage of that and, and kind of rest up a little bit before the football season. If you guys are new here, I'm your host, Max Torres. And uh, I am joined today by my good friend, Spencer McLaughlin. He is the host of the Locked on Ducks podcast. I've been on his show a bunch, so figured it'd be fun to bring him on my show. We're going to be doing a live stream talking about Oregon football and Oregon football recruiting. So if you guys have some questions, make sure you hop in that live chat and throw them our way. We're going to do our best to get to as many as possible. Want to make this show for you guys, the fans. But with all that being said, Spencer, how we doing, man? Hope, uh, hope you're having a good day glad to have you back we're we're doing just fine it's good to be on with you i think based on the number of appearances you've made on my show for free i only owe you about four of these so happy to happy to come on oh absolutely man yeah it's it's gonna be a fun time we got no shortage of things to talk about here as uh recruiting is definitely ramping up here in the month of june for uh, a lot of teams but particularly for oregon obviously that's our focus here on the ducks dish podcast the first half of the month was Pretty dormant, um, not a whole lot going on, but man, we got some big visitors that are coming to Eugene this weekend, and we're going to talk about some of those big names here on this episode. We're going to be talking about the quarterback recruiting picture in 2023, and then we're also going to be taking the viewer questions. You know, Steezy PDX is, is hopping in here saying, what's up? Thanks for coming on and uh, being around, man. He's a, a, a longtime viewer um, of the of the show, but Let's get into our first uh, our first story here, um, and I think it's a big one. Um, reports coming out today, Friday, June seventeenth, as we record this. The report comes from Zach Blostein of Knowles twenty four seven. He reported that Oregon safety Damon David, who had made the decision to enter the transfer portal back in the spring, has had a change of heart, and he will be returning to Eugene to play his sophomore season. And man, you got to figure this is some good news for Dan Lanning and company. Yeah, I think this is Dan Lanning's superpower is uh, snagging guys out of the portal who are wanting to leave the program. I mean, obviously, there, there have been a handful of transfers since the new staff took over. But you go back and remember the, the first recruiting victory, so to speak, that Dan Lanning had was Seven McGee because he was in the portal. And then 
Lanning and Kenny Dillingham convinced him to stay, and now he figures to be a prominent player in the office. Sean Dollars was in the portal, and then I think he accidentally got in, entered in the portal a second time, but he was going to leave, and then they convinced him to stay, which I'm really glad about because I think uh, of the Oregon running backs right now, he, he's got the best physical traits. Doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be the number one, but I think that he, he's got the highest ceiling, but he does have to stay healthy, of course. And you know, now you see it with, with Damon David at a position that was starting to look a little thin. You know, I talked about on my show recently the the impact of the Cody DeCambra commitment because I think that that's you know kind of kind of an area of need going forward is the defensive secondary. Just looking at you know not just getting bodies back there, but having talent back there as well. And and you know to to have talent back there, sometimes you need to have a bunch of bodies because maybe one guy comes in as a decently rated recruit and he doesn't end up panning out the way that you were hoping he was going to. And that's just kind of, you know, part of the game that, that we play in college sports is not everybody pans out. So anytime you have a guy like Damon David, who hasn't played a ton, but, you know, from what we've seen so far, he looks like he can be a capable player. We don't know what his ceiling really is at this point in time. He wasn't some giant heralded recruit or anything, but he's a guy that you'd rather have on your roster than not. And certainly if you're a team like Oregon that is looking you know, a little bit thin on the back end of the defense and it's just having a lot of turnover there. I mean, you lose three of the four starters from a season ago, essentially. I mean, you have Bennett Williams and Jamal Hill back, but they were, you know, off and in in sub packages. Uh, and Bennett Williams, of course, was hurt for a good portion of last season, unfortunately, because he was playing really well. So good to have him back. Hope he stays healthy. But you got no Mikhail Wright. You got no DJ James. You got no Verone McKinley. That's just a lot of continuity to lose and so at some point and it's a lot of production as well and at some point you want to try and you know establish who that next core is going to be and there's no guarantee that Damon David will be that but I think he was a guy who we've had our eye on for the last year or so looking at potential fill-ins for you know a player like Verone McKinley who's going to play at the back end of the defense so I, I think it's great that you know players have the option to to do this but I think it's even better than that Oregon coaches are, are able to convince them to come back, e- even if they you know go through the process and think about it and say, I, I think it's in my best interest to transfer. But then these coaches are, are you know on multiple occasions showing they're able to go to these guys and say, no, you, your best option is still probably here, and we believe you can do this. And so I, I think it's good news all around. Never hurts to have more options to work with, especially when you have a new coaching staff Matt Hallage inheriting that uh, safety room and the co-defensive coordinator duties on Dan Lanning's new staff in Eugene. You already talked about a couple of those guys that were there last year. Uh, I think Jamal Hill is someone that I think it has, uh, has something to prove this year, especially at safety. You know, he really came on strong and um, in the 2019 season and um, had that great game against USC in the Pac-12 championship game. And then, I think last season left a little bit to be desired, uh, you know, had some lapses in coverage, but is still one of the better players in that safety room. Huge to have Bennett Williams back after uh, losing him for a lot of that uh, 2021 season. Like you mentioned, he's definitely the biggest playmaker right now in that secondary, I would say. Probably not too much of a stretch there. Uh, but for, for Damon, he's actually someone who saw a decent amount of playing time last year as a true freshman. Appeared in nine games. For the Ducks, uh, three total tackles, all of them were solo. He's someone that really shot up the recruiting rankings, I think, on the back end of his recruitment, uh, eventually ended up earning four-star status, really made a name for himself as a, as a hard hitter. You get him back, which is, I also, which is also a good thing because 
he's another uh, Baltimore area native with uh, Dante Thornton. So I'm sure those two guys being, you know, really close friends, duking it out in, in high school out there in Maryland, they're excited to be together again. Um, but for me, Spencer, I think that uh, I would probably would need, I'd say that the cornerback room needs a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a boost in the safety room right now. I think I'm a little bit more confident in the safeties right now rather than the corners. Uh, but you're, you're, this is definitely not bad news by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's good to have a guy like Damon back with that familiarity of the college level um, because not only do you have a new staff getting in to put in place here, but you got new guys coming uh, to college, uh, some new faces mixing in with the returners. And I think for the most part, you want to give yourself some solid options that are guys that have played before, understand the the Pac-12 layout and and uh, have adjusted to the speed of the game because that's one of those things that you really can't adjust to unless you're out there playing. Yeah, and I, I think you could actually argue either side of the, the safeties versus corners department because – Guys like Jamal Hill and, and Bennett Williams are, I, I think, officially listed as safeties. They're kind of in between players. They're not purely going to line up, you know, all the way at the back end of the defense. But you know, sometimes you can bring them down and have them be uh, in, in a nickel or a dime package and kind of play that slot corner position. You know, from time to time, I think primarily they operate as safeties. But the, the thing that I look at is, you know, when talking about the safeties at the back end of, of a defense. I think your free safety is more important than, than your strong safety. Cause he's kind of the, the field general back there. And he's the guy who's covering the most space. And he's the guy who's preventing the big plays. He's your last line of defense. And I think losing Verone is just is such a massive, massive loss from a production standpoint and a leadership standpoint that replacing that is really, really difficult. Even though you have guys like, Jamal and Bennett, who we know are able to to make plays and be good players. I don't think either of them are are the sort of ball hawking leaders at the back end of the defense that Verone was for you know the the last couple seasons coming on really strong as a first team All American in 2021. And then the cornerback room, I think you similarly have you know some lack of experience, but you also have Christian Gonzalez there, and I'm actually really high on him. I think even higher than most. I think he's been kind of quiet this spring and he was kind of quiet in the spring game but when you're talking about corners different than safeties when we're talking about corners a lot of times not hearing from a guy is usually a good thing because that means that the ball is just not coming his way very often and he was an all pack 12 honorable mention performer a season ago so he knows how to perform in this conference and at the power five level and be a good player so i'm i'm sold on him at this point in time we'll see if you know, it, it clicks with, with with regards to the defensive philosophy this year because sometimes that can, you know, make guys not fit in the way that they were thinking. But with Demetrius Martin coming over from Colorado to Oregon, I don't suspect that's going to be much of an issue. So I, I think that's the most sure player that, that we have in the secondary right now from a, a coverage standpoint. I think Jamal and Bennett both do a lot of their damage kind of working in between the sticks and, and coming up and popping guys. And yeah, they can make some plays in coverage every now and then. But if you're talking about man to man locking on as, uh, as Mikey G is saying in the comments there, I, I think that's got to be the guy who we look to as, as you know, our top corner, who's going to cover their, their best wide receiver. And in theory, you'd like it to be Dante Manning, but he has really struggled, you know, from, especially from, 
the point of view where you, you consider that he's a, a five-star recruit. Like that's supposed to be a big time guy who locks on right away. He has not performed the way that I think Oregon fans were, were hoping. So that's a, a question mark, but I think looking at that free safety slot, you know, is it going to be Brian Addison? Is it going to be, I think Triquez Bridges is a little bit more of a strong safety mold, but maybe he can, you know, be more of a, a roamer there on the back end. I think there's, a lot of questions at both slots, but the only guy right now that I'd say, you know, I, I know that he's he's going to to be one of the four or five starting DBs consistently on the field all the time, I, I think is Gonzalez because Bennett and Jamal, I think, are both going to be there plenty, but I think they'll rotate in and out a lot more than Gonzo will. And Gonzo, in an ideal world, he's that plug and play guy, right? You you want him yeah. to to be your cornerback one. It's just it's kind of a weird situation for Oregon. You don't really find yourself in the and you don't like to find yourself in the position of like, hey, we lost our top two corners from last season, and now we need to go out and find a guy that can be that CB one that can be that lockdown guy for uh, the opposing team's number one wideout. You ideally want to have him already on the roster, but this is just a situation where. You're a program in transition program, excuse me. Um, and you have guys like Jalen Davies who who left. I thought that was a move that kind of surprised some people. Uh, he didn't see too much action while uh, while he was at Oregon, uh, but he, he looked had, good in the Alamo Bowl, though. Yeah, he had he had the opportunity. You know, I thought he was in line to to really kind of step in and and at least compete for the opening spots that were vacated by Michael Wright and um, DJ James's departures, but. Another guy that I haven't even really mentioned, I'm glad you talked about him in your answer there, was, was Triquez Bridges at safety. He's someone who came to Oregon as a safety, moved to corner. We all know that story. We don't have to talk about it too much. I think that he probably didn't have the season that, that he wanted to have. Was he someone that didn't have good plays? No, not at all. I think I think he was a guy that that certainly grew into a better uh, you know comfort at the position as the season wore on. But you kind of had that... Um, I don't know if I call it a battle, but it was a battle between Dante and uh, Triquez for, uh, you know, that, that quarterback two, quarterback three spot that DJ James kind of ultimately took. Um, and you kind of had Triquez and Dante rotating throughout the season. Neither guy really, really solidified themselves as a, as a consistent contributor. But Dante, I think he was battling injury. He has battled injury since he's been here, which was definitely a, a bummer. For, for him, but he's a guy who comes to Oregon as one of the most highly touted DBs that they've recruited in recent years. Super explosive, twitchy, speedy guy. Uh, I think he's someone in that cornerback room that has some of the you know biggest expectations for for this year um, as someone that they're hoping can stand up, a step up. So you got Gonzo, uh, Dante. We'll see if Triquez ends up going back to safety. That's kind of what the indications were throughout spring, but the defensive staff was saying they were really moving everybody around because – when you're a new staff, new scheme, you want to kind of experiment. That's what that's the beauty of spring ball. You get to try different things out and see who fits best where. Um, Brian Addis is another guy that I think um, he's he's kind of venturing a little bit of a I don't know if I want to call it a make it or make or break season, but he's been here for a while. He he came here in the 2018 class after originally committed to UCLA was kind of one of those just physical freak guys. You know, if you don't see a whole lot of six five DBs. Um, I think he was like a top 10 athlete in that class coming out of uh, Sarah Gardena in the Southern California area. But uh, he made a really good play in spring ball that we all talked about with his one one handed interception in, in practice. So seems like things might kind of be falling into place for him. But someone else we also haven't even talked about two other guys, really 
J.J. Greenfield comes back, rejoins the team after playing some Juco ball last year, and then the Ducks get Donovan Dalton, the Hawaii transfer, uh, who's 6'4". We're talking about just tremendous length that you have in the secondary now for Oregon between guys like Addison, Triquez, and Dalton. And then we also have a new crop of guys coming in this 2022 class. Julio Florence joins the team for spring ball as an early enrollee. That was huge. Kind of hard to see the benefits the fruits of that just yet because it's so early, but he had an awesome interception uh, against Isaiah Crocker in that uh, spring game. So you're already seeing some, some good results there. And then you have the other Jaleel, Jaleel Florence coming in. Um, and then you have Trajan Williams and Kamari Terrell that are going to be joining uh, the the team this summer. So I think that there's definitely some, some reason for optimism, but um, just to bring it back to this Damon news, I think it's great. You just want to have as much experience as you can, especially in the secondary, because that's a, a really hard position to adjust to. I think more so corner than safety. Maybe you can, you can make the argument for either one, I think just because you have some of those general duties with the last line of defense, but uh, man, I'm, I'm just kind of getting a little bit more confidence in this Oregon secondary as time goes on. But really going to be hard to say too much until we can get to fall camp, see who's moving, how people are moving. And then ultimately that, that first test against Georgia isn't going to be easy with that uh, crazy skill talent they got there. Yeah. And you know, that, that interception that, that Jewel Florence made in the, in the spring game was, was I, I think pretty cool to see because he was slightly beat on the play, but he didn't give up on it. And one, one thing I saw, you know, he also got beat by uh, Dante Thornton streaking down the sideline for, a long touchdown, but when, when I watch Florence, and we haven't seen Tucker yet because he's not coming till till later. But Florence, I, I think, is just a guy, and Tucker, an absolute speedster. He runs like ten five three in the hundred meter dash. He's got absolute blazing wheels. But I thought Florence, you know, going out there as a true freshman, his first real exposure to college ball, he looked like he belonged. You know, do, does he need some coaching, perhaps? Well, yeah, everybody does, especially at a position like that, and. I don't think it's at a place where he needs to play immediately, but would I be surprised if he's on the field for a, a small handful of snaps every now and then in, in Pac-12 conference play? Not at all, because I, I just think he's you know got the size, the frame, and, and the athleticism to be able to uh, compete with guys out there and hang with them. He just needs to be able to kind of hone in the, those skills a little bit, but I think when looking at the secondary, I'm going to feel a lot better about it in 2023, I think, than this year. I, I have a number of questions. You know, can Dante Manning take a leap? Who's going to play free safety? How much are we going to see Jamal Hill and Bennett Williams on the field? Are they going to be able to stay healthy? Are they going to, I mean, there's just, I think, more questions than answers there. But after another season, you know, maybe Manning decides to leave and go to the NFL, but he would have to have one heck of a season this year, I think, to do that. So, Let's say he's back and Gonzo is back, and then you talk about all these guys you're bringing back on uh, on the back end of that defense as well. You lose Bennett Williams, maybe lose Jamal Hill, but you, you have a guy like Damon David there, Steve Steven in the mix, JJ Greenfield as well. I, I think that you know once you play a full season together, you really start to get that continuity, and I think that's really important for for a secondary. You know, kind of like quarterbacks and wide receivers, you have to have that chemistry with one another to anticipate you know how a guy's going to play this coverage or how's he how is how is he going to play that route or you know when we're in zone when do we pass stuff off you know th those sort of things matter a lot more than say you know on the defensive line where I think you can just have a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau come in as a big time recruit and just make an impact right away 
but it doesn't require as much time to gel. But I think the secondary does. So that, that's why I, I think it's a little bit of a question mark going into this year, but next season and, you know, in the coming years as well with guys like DeCambra and Cole Martin coming down the pipeline as recruits, I, I feel good about where that position group is headed. Yeah, I think Oregon's had young guys break into the fold early and they're having more and more each year, I feel like, which is a sign that the recruiting is paying off because I think you can have all these amazing players coming to Oregon or whatever school you're at, but ultimately they're not coming to sit. You want to get those guys in the mix right away. You want to get guys that are so good, they're pushing veterans for playing time right away. Um, you know, in the secondary, we saw that with Javon Holland being the most prominent example, I think. Uh, he really made a name for himself right when he stepped on campus out of that 2018 class. Now he's balling with the Dolphins in the NFL. Yeah. And then you saw Diamond Lenore play a decent amount as a, uh, as a freshman or an underclassman. And then Thomas Graham was really thrown into the fire uh, as a corner during uh, kind of the, I don't know, the rebuilding days when, you know, coming off that, that four and eight season, he was really thrown into the fire and Mikhail they didn't really have that played, many options. Yeah. Mikhail Wright played a lot as a freshman too. Yep. Yep. So I think maybe, maybe, you know, with all that being said, I think uh, Oregon could be due to have one of these young guys break out uh, really early, but uh, anything else you wanted to talk about just uh, about this uh, Damon David news or anything in the secondary before we move on? I, I, I think that I think the name that we've skipped over that I'm sure someone has noticed by now is Vontae Dickerson, sure. uh, who, who's also a really highly rated four star when, when he came out of high school and he he's seen some action already so he has that edge over some guys you know like the the jaleels or uh you know maybe even damon david frankly where he's just been on the field for for more meaningful snaps and you know he hasn't wowed me but he also hasn't made me go ah, i don't know if he's he's going to have it yet so i think that's another guy who could push for maybe a cb2 slot you know behind uh, or opposite gonzo i should say I, I think right now you would think dante manning is in the lead but Dante Manning's been burned a lot so far in, in his college career, and he he has not lived up to the hype to this point. He's got the best physical gifts of anyone in that secondary, I think probably at any position, but it's different when you're talking about putting it all together, understanding schemes, understanding route concepts, and you, you know your, your fundamentals as a corner and all the little stuff, you know, when to turn your hips, when to use this leverage, when to anticipate, you know, th this route or jump it and all that sort of stuff. And I think he struggled with those elements so far because he, he looks the part when you see him out there, but he hasn't put it all together yet. So I would imagine he's in the lead and his injury is not expected to be serious. He's probably even close to being back to 100 percent by by this point in time, because that was back in spring ball and it was considered pretty minor. So I, I think if he's able to take a leap, it's his. But I, I wouldn't sleep on Avante Dickerson as a guy who comes in in a nickel and dime, you know, uh, sub package where you're in a third and 11, you know, they're going to throw and you don't want to put Jamal Hill out there, maybe or Bennett Williams, because they're a little bit bigger. They're not quite as agile. I think you'd see a name like Avante Dickerson. Another guy to watch in that secondary is uh, Darren Barkins, who got to run that 40-yard dash against uh, some fans at the spring game. <laughs> but I feel like we've hit on a lot of really good stuff there. So Damon David will return to Oregon for his sophomore season after seeing action in nine games as a true freshman in 2021. Let's transition to our next topic on the show. Uh, just a quick reminder, guys, if you're here watching live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres, go ahead and smash that like button for us and subscribe to the channel. Only takes a second out of your day, and it is a tremendous help as we work to build the channel and, and build the community here. 
covering Oregon football and Oregon sports. Just recently passed the 1500 marker uh, with subscribers. So uh, big shout out to all the supporters. Appreciate you guys for, for everything. Uh, but with that being said, let's talk about this weekend. The Oregon Ducks will be hosting a very impressive collection of talent here for the weekend of June 17th, 18th, uh, as officials and unofficials really ramp up here in the month of June. The majority of July is a quiet period, uh, so there's not going to be a whole lot of visitors going on for, for the Ducks next month, which is why you really want to try to put on a ton of work now here in June, maybe even try to get some of these guys wrapped up uh, and uh, committed to the Ducks uh, in an ideal world, right? So what we're going to do now, uh, Spencer and I are going to hit on some of the big recruits that are in town this weekend. We're not going to hit on all of them, but I'm going to be working on a more in-depth visitor list on Ducks Digest later this afternoon, this evening. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. But we're going to touch on some of the biggest names here that have uh, either announced that they're going to be coming to Eugene this weekend, or I've personally confirmed with them that, or with some sources that they're going to be here. I think one of the biggest ones that we really have to start with uh, we're not going to be talking too much about the quarterback picture this second because that's another section in the show. But Avery Johnson, the Kansas quarterback, 2023 guy out of Mays, Elite 11 quarterback, he is in Eugene. He got in for his visit, his official visit last night. So things are rocking and rolling right now for, for Oregon as they really try to make their best pitch for Avery Johnson, who really came on strong here in the 2023 cycle uh, for, for Oregon. And what's interesting with him, Spencer, is that he he wants to wrap this thing up sooner than later. Uh, he, he talked to uh, our, our John Garcia, who's the director of recruiting at uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, you always obviously know him pretty well. Uh, well. I've had him on my show. He's been on your show a million times. So John's the man. But when he talked to him at the Elite 11 in uh, Nashville, I believe it was, he was very, very uh, transparent saying, you know, I want to be committed by the time I uh, make it out to the Elite 11, which I think is set for June 28th or certainly just the end of this month. So, you know, we don't have to say a whole lot when we're just emphasizing how big of a, a, a visit this is for Johnson and, and for Oregon because you ultimately want to get that quarterback in the fold sooner rather than later. Um, and, I mean, Kansas State has been showing him tons of love. And... Um, Man, it, it'd just be it'd be a great deal for Oregon. I know that they're very high on him, but uh, he's not the only guy that they're going after, um, as we'll uh, we'll talk about here on this show. So big visitor with, with Avery Johnson coming into town. Yeah, and, and he's a guy who is not going to wow you necessarily with his uh, w- with his arm per se. He's not quite as gifted in that sense as like a Jaden Rashada or going back a ways, uh, a Nico or, you know, a Dante Moore, the, you know, two of those guys still very much in, in Oregon sight. Well, Avery and, and Dante now and Jaden, they're, uh, they're no longer in the mix for, but he's listed as a true dual threat. And that's, that's very, very true. He's got like four or five ish speed. And, and just for, uh, just for reference, I uh, I believe Mariota's forty time back in the day was about a four five five itch, so that gives you a, a sense of what sort of athlete and and player he is. And you know, this is the way that it works in recruiting. It's not like Oregon is the only program who's you know recruiting guys hard or hitting the trail or talking to players and you know giving them a bunch of incentives and reasons to to come to their school. And so you're not going to win every single battle out there. And what, you know, was it slightly disappointing that 
the Ducks didn't make the the cut for a, a California native in Jaden Rashada. Yeah, it, it it was. But is it the end of the world? No, because the way that you have to look at it and the way that the staff, I'm sure, is looking at it is like, all right, we wanted him. We put time in there. Was not time wasted, but we're on to the next. And Avery Johnson, Dante Moore are are those uh, are those sorts of guys. Um, Mikey's saying that uh, everything I've heard about Avery makes me prefer him over more. I, I like Avery he uh, because he's just a tremendous athlete, and I think he opens up you know some possibilities that Dante wouldn't give you. I had a chance to talk to Dante last weekend as a as a person. He's very impressive, and as a quarterback, he's a much purer thrower of the ball. So I think it's kind of decision time there for for Kenny Dillingham, and you know <laughs> you'd probably never be able to get an answer out of him. But I would love to ask him the question. Which of those two guys better fits what you want to do offensively? And, you know, this is the first time we all know that that Dillingham's been the full-time play caller where he's kind of given the reins to the offense. He doesn't have an offensive head coach looking over his shoulder. It, it, it's just him. And so he gets to make that side of the ball in his own vision. And I wonder which of the two he would prefer. You know, if I were an offensive coordinator, depending on what my philosophy was, I could justify taking one guy or the other. If I wanted to go a little bit more air raid, I might lead towards uh, Dante Moore. But if I wanted to be a little bit more RPO based, where my quarterback's going to move a lot the way he has for the last couple of years with Joe Moorhead, then I, I might want to go with a guy like Avery Johnson, who is supremely agile and nimble, but is not going to wow you with with his arm talent. So I, I think both are solid options and, and present a good amount of, of upside. And, and it's good that Oregon is you know, getting a, a visit in there. And I, you know, I can't remember Max, maybe, you know, of when the last recruit Oregon was getting out of the state of Kansas, or at least heavily considering out of the state of Kansas. I mean, that's not exactly what you'd call a recruiting hotbed, but every now and then uh, you, you can find a diamond in the rough down there. And that's certainly what Avery looks to be. Yeah. I think for that, the only person I can think of, and it might even be, um, it might even be cheating a little bit. I'm looking up, uh, my, you are cheating. I'm looking. I'm looking this up and trying to do some <laughs> research on the fly. Um, but the person that I, that comes to mind for me that the Ducks were in pretty significant consideration for is Jermaine Johnson, the defensive lineman that uh, just got drafted by the Jets out of Georgia. He uh, originally, um, uh, shoot, I don't remember where he was coming out of Minnesota for high school, but he went to Independence. Uh, community college, which is, uh, you know, one of the most recent last chance you, not the most recent, but a recent last chance you school. Um, so independence, uh, community college is in Montgomery County, Kansas. So I don't think he's a Kansas native, but, uh, I'll, I'll throw him out there as a, as a possible answer to that. But as far as what you were saying about Avery, man, I mean, the dude is just super athletic. I think what's interesting about him is that, he's a little bit more slight of frame um, when, when you're just looking at him from a physical build. Uh, 247 has him listed at 6'2", 170. So definitely on the lighter side, but I mean, you saw how that paid off for him. I'm just looking at his huddle right now and he has some stats here. I don't have my other monitor, so I can't put his stats up on the screen right now. But uh, as a junior in 2021, threw for just over 2,500 yards, 20 passing touchdowns against six interceptions, and then ran for over 1,000 yards. 22 rushing touchdowns. That's more than 3,600 yards of total offense at a completion rate of 56%. Usually you want that in a healthier range of about 60 to 65. 
um, is kind of what I would be hoping for. But you can see the upside with having a more mobile guy, right? That's just the direction that college football is going. You want to have a guy that that has really nimble feet, that has good footwork, that can improvise and be mobile. And I think that Dante Moore has that as well. But um, obviously, has I think he has a little bit more of a, of the college ready frame. Uh, when you're just looking at his at his build at, at 6'2", 195, 200 area. Um, but we're going to be talking more about the quarterback picture uh, a, late, a little bit later in the show. So I don't want to I don't want to talk about Avery too much. But I think he's kind of one of the headliners for this weekend when it comes to Oregon uh, as far as who they're getting on campus. But the other guys that I want to talk about here, a couple other guys. Man, the state of Texas, that Lone Star State is very well represented this weekend for Oregon with their visitors. Uh, a lot of the guys that we're talking about here so far, all of them actually are 2023s. They have some 2024s, but I'm more focused on the 2023s right now. Uh, so you got uh, Avery, who we just talked about. He's not from Texas, but he's a big visitor. And then you got wide receiver Jonte Cook. He's out of DeSoto High School in uh, the Dallas area um, of Texas. I actually got to see him in person last fall when I was out there in DeSoto covering Stephon Johnson, who was formerly committed to Oregon. But Jonte really stole the show, man. He is just an absolute showstopper, super, super agile, um, really a, a big playmaker. Um, recently got bumped up to five-star status, so you just see how he's really just picking up more steam on the recruiting trail. Um, I think that guys like Matt Pallage, even though he's not a, a wide receiver guy, you know, he's kind of been the representative of Texas recruiting for Oregon. So I think that he's really been prioritized. The Ducks might already have their crown jewel at wide receiver in this class with Jurion Dickey, the Northern California wide receiver in the 2023 class, who just every time you hear about him, man, every time you see him, I saw him at camp a, a couple weeks ago, he just keeps ascending, man. He's just getting yeah. so much praise, making a name for himself, just showing up and competing. And I think there's buzz that he might even receive five-star status. So that's pretty huge to get him. Ashton Kozar, and then now, hey, I mean, you're getting your chance with an official visit from Jonte Cook. Yeah, Dickie's Dickie's stock is just going; it's just up. It just it keeps going up. He was the day two MVP down at OT seven last weekend in Las Vegas. I had a chance to go out there on Saturday and Sunday and uh, watch some games out there. Talked to a couple of the guys, including Jurion, who's you know very very low key, very laid back guy, not super chatty but a, a really nice dude but when he gets on the field he just shows you so much you know and, and it reminds me uh, a little bit of of that scene in Moneyball when they're doing the flashback to when Billy Bean was a player in high school and you know the the scout from the Mets is saying you know we we're looking to find a, a player who's got one or two tools and then develop another one and your son has five and that's kind of what Jurion represents as a wide receiver normally you can foresee him being, uh, you know, a, a slot guy or a speed guy or a deep threat or this and that, right? Like you look at a guy like Ashton Kozar, talented player, but he's going to be the sort of dude who who's going to go over the top, right? That's kind of his specialty. But Jurion, I, I'm I'm not clear what he can't do. He he's six foot one. He's built, so you're not going to push him around. You don't need to you know, line him up behind another receiver or use motion to get him a clean release. He, he's a he's built. He can run after the catch. He can go deep, catch contest, contested balls. He runs the route tree very well. His agility is really fast. I could see him as somebody you, you give a tunnel screen to and let him weave through the defense because he's so quick. But, I mean, he, he can 
he can go zero through nine on on the route tree and, and run them all at a high level. And I just when I was watching, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he gets bumped up to a five star. And though I I know, you know, because I asked him about, you know, why he wanted to go to Oregon, why he chose Oregon. And he was very, very quick to say two things. Number one, he grew up watching Oregon. And that was something that that he's known for a long time that he'd be interested in. But number two, he talked about, you know, he, he thinks that's the best spot for, for him and his family. And, the, and he just kept going back to that. And, you know, I was, you know, kind of poking and prodding, trying to see if there was something else. But he just said, I, I felt like that was the best spot for me. And, you know, they were, you know, really good to us. And it was just a, a good deal for for him and and his family and whatever, you know, he, he sees is that uh, in terms of how important that is, it, it was clearly at, at the forefront and he felt that Oregon is the best place, but I think the ducks have to really stay tied into his recruitment. Cause remember, you have to remember, these are all verbal commitments. Nobody has signed um, an NLI yet, not an NIL, but an NLI national letter of intent. And, and Jerry on Dickey, I think is a guy who's going to get a lot of looks from other schools who are going to come into the fold and say, Hey, we know you're committed to Oregon, but we want to have you out here for a visitor. I'd love to talk to you about why my school is, is actually the right one. And I do think Miami is going to be among them. All right. Yeah, we could, we could certainly, I mean, it makes sense, right? You know, Mario Cristobal was, was definitely recruiting him mm-hmm. uh, when, when he was the, the coach in Eugene. So I'm right there with you. I think that he's uh, certain. I mean, it goes for all of these guys, right? I think just maybe to varying degrees, you know, how willing are other schools going to be to keep knocking on their door after they've already made the commitment? Because sometimes there's the deal where guys commit and then other schools just respect it. And it's like, hey, I mean, we've tried, but we just really can't get anywhere with this guy. He's he's as locked in as you get. So that kind of goes for, you know, the whole class. You know, we got to recruit guys after they've committed. And then now with the age of the transfer portal, you got to recruit guys even after they enroll. Um, so it's, it's just a crazy deal when it comes to, uh, you know, today's college football, but we're talking about some more visitors here, uh, on the Ducks Just podcast. Want to talk about John Tate Cook a little bit more before we get to a quick break, Spencer, but just to get people up to speed real quick on John Tate, he's been taking a lot of visits in in the spring, Uh, a couple of his official visits that he's already taken. Uh, we're looking at, uh, Michigan, we're looking at Ole Miss. And then Michigan State just recently offered. Um, and then two other big schools that I think honestly have probably the best position right now. You got to look in state at AM and, and UT Austin at Texas. He's he's uh, been a very vocal supporter of both of those schools, gets out to College Station and to uh, Austin all the time for visits. So I feel like schools like that, I think, really have an edge, have a leg up in this recruitment. But this is why you bring guys out for visits, Spencer. You get them on campus. You build those relationships even more. They, they talk to your current players who are oftentimes the best recruiters that you could ask for. I mean, how many times have we heard about Jackson Powers Johnson just being spoken highly of as a, as a recruiter, just being around that infectious energy? And then um, we'll see what we can do with, with uh, guys like Kyler Casper, Chase Coda, getting coached up, uh, Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin. I mean, we can go on and on about the names that Oregon has, but – Junior Adams and those guys have to go out on the field and, and, and prove it. But getting Jonte on campus certainly doesn't hurt you. And, and uh, you know, hopefully you can kind of uh, put yourself in a good spot with, with him after getting him on campus. I don't believe he has a decision date at this time, but he's definitely well-versed with Oregon after he got recruited heavily by uh, Brian McClendon when, when he was still at Oregon and then when uh, Stephon Johnson was committed to Oregon previously. 
Yeah, and I, I think that I, I've talked about this with John Garcia before on, on my show, Locked on Ducks, and one advantage that Oregon has going into you know a state like Texas, the disadvantage is that it's a long way from home. On a kid from the Dallas area or from Katy, Texas, or you know wherever, Plano, like there's all sorts of different places that you can look over the state and, and find a lot of talent. The disadvantage is it's a long way from home. Some guys might want to stay a little bit closer, you know, be close to to family and friends and whatnot, make it easy for them to come out to games. That's one thing. But one thing that, that we discussed before is when Oregon is the outlier in, in a recruitment like this, it can be an advantage because it's a way for them to stick out and distinguish themselves. Because if you're a kid from the state of Texas, What's the major difference between Texas and Oklahoma you're going to find? I mean, there, you know, there's a, there's a lot of similarities there, right? Or Texas and Texas A&M. Again, a lot of similarities. Or A&M and LSU. You're in a similar region. You've got, you know, similar campuses, similar school. Like, they're in the same conference for the most part. A&M and LSU and the SEC or, like, Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12, right? Those are ways that... I think Oregon can have an advantage of coming in being the outside team that that, that stands out in that sense. So it, it can be a drawback depending on the recruit and what his priorities are and what he wants for the next level of his career college football. But I think it can definitely be an advantage as well because it's a way to, to stand out. You go on campus at Oregon and it's you know, 65 degrees and, and sunny in the in the fall or in the summertime or whatever, that feels a lot different then when you go to college station and it's 95 and the humidity is 83% like that, that sort of stuff. That's an important thing to remember in recruiting as well is these guys are going to play football and you know, what they see as the best Avenue for them to continue their football career is a big part of their decision, but they're also figuring out where they're going to go to school, where they're going to live, right? They, they have a different lifestyle than most college kids. But there are a lot of similarities there, too. Right. So you think about you know, how you want to spend your free time or uh, what, what the dorms are like or what they feel like. All that stuff does play into. Right. Not as much, I think, as uh, as the football vision that you get from the coach. But that sort of stuff matters. And so I think Oregon can you know, distinguish itself in that way and in some sense with with these recruits. And I think that's you know certainly the reason that, that we've been able to pull kids out of other states before is because it's different. It's different. A lot of guys are you know looking to go way away from home, like Jaden Rashada clearly wants to go way away from home. He's from California. He is going to go to school nowhere near California and clearly didn't want to stay on the West Coast. And, and that's a personal preference thing. It doesn't mean that Oregon did anything wrong in his recruitment. It means that some guys just you know, grow up in a certain part of the country. They're like, you know what? I, I do want something different. I want to see what else is out there, what this state is like or that state is like. And so I, I think that's an element of recruiting that's often overlooked. But I think when when you look at Ed Cook as a receiver, he's only five foot eleven. I, I mean, he's got blazing speed and he's got really good skills. I, I look at him and I, I see Chris Hudson 2.0. And I really like Chris Hudson. And, you know, not that Cook can't go on the outside, but he's probably going to be most effective in in the slot that's kind of what I, I think he projects as you know he doesn't have that sort of frame like a casper or a thornton or even a troy franklin to you know be a big bodied receiver on the outside but i, I think that the way that he is able to use his twitchiness uh, at, at the top of routes to create space i think you line him up in the slot and that, that's a tough guy to cover no doubt about it i mean to, going back to what you were saying real quick just about how 
Oregon distinguishes themselves or they're just different geographically from other places. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to guys and they tell me, man, I loved how green it was in Eugene. I loved the the hills and the mountains because yeah. I don't see that where I'm from. So it's, it's an underrated yeah, aspect. Dude, Texas, yeah. That- Texas, Oklahoma. I lived in Oklahoma for just over a year. It's so different. It looks different. Everything is just flat. You have no mountains. The roads are flat. Everything is a flat drive everywhere you go and it feels different just just being there and that's a that's a very very real thing no doubt about it yeah it's when i went to texas like i talked about that trip when i went to ohio state to cover the ducks in that game that was the first thing i noticed i'm like this place is super flat um but hey you know nothing wrong with it just uh different than what we're used to out here on the west coast um hey we're rocking and rolling gonna step away for just a second here uh, to take a quick ad break, but uh, make sure you guys stick around for this latest episode of the Ducks Dish podcast, talking about working football and recruiting, working our way towards some questions on the other side. We got that coming your way next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Ducks Just Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with Locked On Ducks host, Spencer McLaughlin. We're having an awesome time. We got we got a, a good amount of people here in the uh, live chat and in the live stream. So uh, a couple more guys. Here's what I was thinking, Spencer. I think we're probably going to go over the hour marks. I wanted to make sure that was okay with you before we got there. Oh, yeah. Um, but a couple more guys I want to talk about that are on campus in Eugene this weekend. Um, want to talk about those recruits. Want to really sink my teeth into the quarterback recruiting picture in 2023 and then get to some of these questions that uh, – um, honestly, I thought we were going to get to a lot sooner, but we've had a lot of great conversations. So I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, slow that down at all. So let's talk about a couple more of these Lone Star State guys in the 23 class. So we talked about John Tay Cook, and then you also have David Hicks, the number one defensive lineman in the 2023 class. The Ducks have done their homework on this one and are in a great spot after getting them on campus in the spring for an unofficial visit. Uh, now they have them on campus this weekend for an official visit. Uh, you see some other schools that are heavily in the mix here with, with A&M being one of them. 
Miami was another one I believe I saw him at recently. Michigan State, Mel Tucker's trying to make some noise there. He also had Jaden Wayne out on, on a visit recently. So Michigan State's, I think, kind of a – I don't want to know – I don't know if I go as far as saying a sleeping giant, but they're definitely doing some some things the right way out there in East Lansing. So D, DJ Hicks, David DJ Hicks gets to campus for Oregon, and, and he's got to be a massive priority for Tony Tuioti. Um, just they, they – They've had good defensive linemen at Oregon. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to point to Kayvon Thibodeau because he's kind of one of those edge guys, those hybrid guys, not like a pure defensive lineman. But, but you know, David Hicks is, is you know, a pure defensive lineman. If you're just looking at his frame, 6'4", 270, uh, not really – not too likely to find him lining up out there on the edge. But he's coming out of uh, Pato High School in, in Katy and – and man, you you got to think this would be a, a huge win for Dan Lanning and this staff, Tony Tuioti and the staff, just because as great as their offensive line recruiting has been, I just don't think they've gotten it done on the defensive line in the trenches, getting multiple guys, not just a Kayvon Thibodeau. And then this year, not just a Brandon Dorless. You just got to have that line stocked with guys that can make a difference. And man, David Hicks looks like one of those guys. Yeah, and, and he's going to play, like you said, almost strictly on the interior. I think he's a more athletic version of a Jordan Scott, who's just a, a run stuffer. He can swallow up a double team. He moves the line of scrimmage around. He might not always be the most impactful player from a statistical standpoint, but if you watch the film and understand, you know, how a defense works and how you slow an offense down, a guy like David Hicks is going to be right at the center, literally and metaphorically of everything that you do. It's good that the, Ducks are in a good spot with him because my understanding throughout his recruitment is that Texas A&M has kind of had the inside track on him at this point in time. And he's from the state of Texas. And we know how well the Aggies have have been recruiting just nationally, but also in that state for for the last couple of years with Jimbo Fisher. So I, I would be pretty surprised, honestly, Max, if Oregon is able to get him because I feel like he he's a guy who's going to either stay in the state of Texas or or find an SEC school. I would love for Oregon to get him. I, I think it would be absolutely massive because you're right. We saw this past year the weakness of just having one premier defensive lineman. And when Thibodeau wasn't on the field, yeah, Dor- Dorless is good, but I wouldn't say Dorless is great. I know he grades really well in, in the Pac-12 as an interior defensive lineman, but from a pass rush standpoint, He's, you know, solid, but he is not great the way that, that Thibodeau was. And so you're looking at the interior and as the ed, looking at the edge prospects as well. You need to have multiple guys there who you can rely on or who you feel in a big moment are going to be able to get in there and make a play. Because every time Thibodeau was off the field, there was no pass rush last year. I mean, Oregon was just lacking bodies. And I, I just think that if they can get a foundation on the defensive front that allows them to be as dominant and physical as we've ever seen. I, I think that's what Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy want to do defensively because that's what they've seen over the years. That's what they've done over the years. If you can get pressure with four, you open up a lot of options defensively, and that's something Oregon has really struggled with because even when Thibodeau was there, He's only going to apply pressure when the other team makes a mistake and leaves him in a one-on-one. I mean, how many times was he double or he was triple teamed a couple times against UCLA last season, or he gets chipped by a running back or tight end because you know that he's 
you know, the, the premier guy that Oregon has had the last couple of years. So you, you got to have bodies up there. And David Hicks is somebody who you're not going to be able to, to leave in one-on-one all the time. And I think if you have a disruptor on the interior that sets up your edge players to be able to have one-on-ones with tackles and, and create some pressure on the quarterback, but you, you got to have those players first and Hicks would certainly be that sort of guy. Yeah. Staying on the, the front seven, really good points there, Spencer. Um, wanted to just keep it rolling here with some guys so we can get to questions here down the line. Um, Colton Vasek, he's a, hopefully I'm saying that right. He's a four-star edge out of Austin Westlake in Texas. Austin Westlake has just produced some guys at the next level. Look at Cade Klubnik, the former five-star recruit that is now at Clemson. Uh, they uh, they won a 6A Division II Texas State title last year. Colton Vasek was named the defensive MVP. So this is just a guy that uh, Oregon has really had on their radar for quite some time. Couple schools closer to home are definitely giving uh, Oregon a run for their money. You got schools like Texas, uh, you got Oklahoma also in the mix. I believe both those schools just got uh, a, a visit from Vasek in uh, the recent weeks, recent months. Um, so I think that there's definitely some schools that that are applying pressure here. But I think Oregon's in a better spot when it comes to Vasek as opposed to Hicks just because they're probably more confident that they can hold off, you know, that, that in-state push from, from Sark, certainly for a defensive guy, right? This is where you see Dan Landing and Tosh Lapoy coming into play here with him being kind of an outside linebacker edge kind of guy as far as his projection goes. Not to say that those guys won't be in play with, with like a DJ Hicks, but um, I just feel like he's a little bit more realistic for Oregon uh, as far as what they've done previously, the work that they've put in. Getting him on campus is huge. This is an official visit for him, like with Hicks. So they're rolling out the red carpet to, to give their best pitch. Um, and, and I think that this is someone who, again, I don't think has set a commitment date, but you're putting in that work now, making that solid impression to uh, you know hopefully get a, a commitment from him when uh, the time comes. He's down to five uh, when it comes to finalists that we're looking at. I'm trying to look here on the fly. You got Oregon, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, and Clemson, but uh, feels like the feeling here is that uh, Oregon's in a really good spot. Yeah, and I think that that's you know something that that we're still kind of waiting on. I think the offensive recruiting is surpassing expectations at this point, but the, the defensive verbal commitments haven't quite come at, at the rate that I think they they eventually will. I think it's just been a little slower in that sense. But you think about you know the biggest recruits Oregon's landed so far. It's been Kyler Casper and Josh Connerly. And yeah, you have a Jaleel Florence in there as well, but you don't have that that big time defensive player who who you look at yet and go, Oh, is that is that the next, you know, Thibodeau or, or Noah Sewell who's just gonna step in and be one of the best players on the field right away? I mean, the moment Thibodeau stepped on the field, you're like, Oh, yeah, that guy belongs immediately and might be our best pass rusher. And I remember when Noah Sewell first got on the field in, in 2020, I was like, he's a true freshman and that is our best defensive player. And it's, you know, maybe not particularly close outside of Thibodeau. So I'm still waiting to see who that's going to be. Maybe it'll be a Hicks. Maybe, you know, Vasek is a guy who, who pops, or maybe it'll be a, a Jaden Wayne, Mateo Uyunglele is in there as well. But, you know, we, we give plenty of attention from recruiting standpoint to the quarterbacks because that's the premier position in all of sports, of course, and Oregon's still going after a few of them. But 
I, I think that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupo are still waiting for that first big time defensive recruit. And I wonder if that'll cause other, other guys to follow if, and when that happens. Yeah. I think the, the domino effect is, is something that's very real here. We've seen it time and time again, but it hasn't exactly happened with Oregon. They've gotten some big guys since Dan Lanning took over. Um, but especially cause some of them have been in the transfer portal. We don't see the domino effect as we, as we maybe do more often in uh, the high school level. Um, but the, the thing is with uh, their defensive line recruiting, I think that that position in particular is uh, that the defensive front is just going to, it's in a really good spot to, to skyrocket as far as the, the pieces that they have in place, the guys that are there, the coaches that are there and the recruits that Oregon's going after guys that are there now, like Vasek guys that are coming next weekend for the massive June 24th recruiting weekend, Mateo Uyunglele, who's getting mentioned here in the comments, Jaden Wayne, who's a, another big time target here. They're both going to be in Eugene next weekend. So want to want to shift a little bit now Spencer to talk a little bit more about the quarterback picture uh is the quarterback picture coming into focus for Oregon in 2023 I know we were getting some comments here in the live chat um and uh it was something I wanted to talk about anyway so this is the the kind of last topic that I want to get on to get into before we see what you guys are talking about in the questions in the, the live chat a little bit more Got a big update that we, we've kind of hit on a little bit earlier uh, in the show, but uh, Jane Rashada, five-star quarterback out of NorCal, is uh, pushing back his commitment uh, to later this month in June. Had previously set his commitment date for June 18th, which is tomorrow, and then Avery Johnson is on campus now. So when they were still in the running, I was like, how is this going to work? You know, Avery Johnson's on campus that same weekend, and, and Rashada wants to make his choice. I feel like if Oregon had to pick between one of the two, it, it'd probably likely go for Rashada, not like a, a hot take there. But now that Rashada has narrowed his choices down to five, Oregon's not in the mix. You got Ole Miss, LSU, Miami, Texas A&M, and Florida, I believe, as the five finalists. Uh, you know, that guy's he's not in the picture anymore. So now we want to talk about the guys who are still in the picture. You got Avery Johnson, who we've already talked about a lot on this episode of the podcast. I don't want to talk about him too much more. Um, and then you have Dante Moore, who, man, just about a month ago, I feel like month, two months, it maybe wasn't as uh, as good of a shot for the Ducks. I feel like Marcus Freeman and, and the Irish out at Notre Dame really looked like they were in the lead for the longest time here. But Dante Moore is a really well-traveled quarterback. He, he's made it out, uh, obviously, to Oregon. I think he made his official visit uh, – back in, in April. So um, good that they already have him on campus there. Maybe it's a, a situation where it's good that they already had their official visit from him versus getting it from Avery Johnson now. Um, but he knows what Oregon has to offer. He made it out on campus. Uh, Moore did in January for an unofficial. So that's another thing that I think really helps just getting quality guys on campus early and on their own dime in the unofficial capacity. So we got more also there. He's visiting Texas A&M this weekend. Uh, so we're seeing some overlap there as far as Rashada and more their visits that they were taking, but that's big. And then you also have Ricky Collins, the Purdue quarterback commit. Um, haven't seen as much on him, but he does have an Oregon offer. The Ducks are also going after Aiden Childs, the Southern California prospect who has since committed to Oregon State. Um, I, I feel like you know the interest was definitely there from from um, Childs, but. Maybe Oregon wasn't ready to, you know, hop on board with him because you have some of these big guys that you're you're still in the running for. So it's it's definitely positive developments for Oregon that it looks like they're kind of trending or 
surging a little bit, if you want to call it that, you know, pick whatever word you want that is a positive one. And it looks like Oregon has a serious shot now when it comes to Dante Moore. But we talked about Avery Johnson wanting to make his commitment before the month wraps up. Moore is out at College Station right now for a visit, no commitment date. It, it kind of puts you in a little bit of a pickle when it comes to if one guy's ready to pop, but you're still kind of waiting and seeing with more. Yeah. So, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps our, our Irish friend who's uh, hopping in the chat, which we will always appreciate, but I believe Notre Dame got a commitment from a quarterback not that long ago. And, and that's kind of what has catapulted Oregon forward in terms of their, their chances to land the five-star quarterback. And I, I like him a lot. This was someone's question earlier, and it's kind of in the same vein. You know, of the quarterbacks who are left, who would we most want to have? I, I would take Dante Moore personally. It's not that I'm opposed to, to Avery Johnson. He can do a lot of really good things. I saw Dante Moore last weekend. He's on a Cam Newton 7-on-17, seven seven team, and they got all the way to the uh, the championship game, actually, and they lost to uh, uh, was SFE was the team name led by USC commit Malachi Nelson, who is very impressive, by the way. But when I watch Moore, accuracy is easy for him, and he's not the biggest guy in the world he's not as big as a nico or a malachi nelson or even a Jaden rashad i think he's a little bit shorter than him but when you watch him throw he he commands the field so well and you know i had the opportunity to hear reporter has asking uh asking cam newton about dante Moore. you know what makes him such a great player and he didn't go to the stuff on the field he went straight to the stuff off the field, his poise, his leadership, and the way that he commands an offense. And I think he shows that, you know, when when he steps on the field with, with his guys. And so I, I would take Dante Moore of, of the ones that Oregon is now going after. And, you know, I, I'm with you, Max. I mean, there was a period not that long ago where I was more in on Rashada because I'm like, well, this is a California kid. Oregon's recruited out of that state before. He's probably – you know, seen Oregon a little bit growing up. Dante Moore is from Detroit. <laughs> I mean, there, there's just not that many big time prospects that come out of Detroit. And, and the fact that Oregon is right here on a, a guy of that caliber. Um, but uh, and also our, our Notre Dame friend is saying that uh, uh, Carr is a, is a 2024 commit, not 2023. Mm -hmm. But it's still, I, I think it factors into that area. I, I think Notre Dame was the clear leader not that long ago and it's kind of cooled off since then so Oregon is very much in the mix and that that's the guy that that I'd be going after I think he's really impressive in a lot of ways he's got a good clean motion he can make all the throws on the field he's really accurate in the red zone too and his ball placement is just phenomenal you know uh, on every throw that he makes he's putting the ball in the right spot and he doesn't miss very often I mean, I watched him march his team down the field. I know it's seven on seven, but I watched him march his team down the field. Only in completion he had was a drop. And it was just boom, boom, boom. They scored in, in like 90 seconds or so, going uh, 35, 40 yards in, in a seven on seven situation. So I, I, I'm really high on Dante Moore. I, I like what I saw from him quite a bit. And I think Oregon should go after him aggressively because he, he'd be a really good get. Here's an interesting hypothetical to throw out there, Spencer. We already talked about the the whole deal with when Rashada was still considering Oregon, how Avery Johnson's timing of his visit kind of made things a little tricky, right? So you got you got Dante Moore 
who's obviously feeling the ducks right now. They're, they're definitely a serious contender. No commitment date of yet. Let's say, hypothetically, Oregon knocks his visit out of the park with Avery Johnson, and he wants to hop in the fold. You don't turn him away unless you feel real confident about where you stand with Dante Moore. Because the way things are going right now with quarterback recruiting, there's not a ton of really top-level guys that are left. You know, Nico, Arch Manning's, Nico's already going to Tennessee. We obviously know that. Arch Manning's still on the market, but Oregon's not in the mix for him. Jane Rashada is a, more or less eliminated Oregon, right, with those new finalists. But you want to get your quarterback in the fold. And if you don't get a guy like Avery Johnson or Dante Moore, your, your, your options are just getting really, really thin. So I think that's an interesting little wrinkle to, to throw into it here when you're looking at how Avery Johnson has a timeline. Dante Moore doesn't have as much of a timeline, at least not one that is known publicly right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, if someone's seen something, but I don't think he has a commitment date right now. No, he, he, uh, do, he, he doesn't. He's very, you know, kind of open in, in his process from the point of view that he doesn't, he doesn't have a date. He's not narrowing a list. He, he's not doing anything of the sorts. He's, he's not in a rush. Okay. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, it, it doesn't sound like he's in a rush, but Notre Dame's there. I think, uh, you know, um, another school that, that is obviously in the mix is Michigan. Uh, they, yep. they really made a, a great impression um, on, on the recruiting trail with, um, with uh, Dante Moore. So I just think that's an interesting kind of little situation to, to throw out there into the fold. If, if, if Avery Johnson really likes what he sees at Oregon and he's like, Hey, I feel like, you know, this is the place for me. Do you take a commitment from him? You know, we've talked about him being an awesome player, but if, if Moore's the guy that you want, you're you're kind of put in a tricky spot here if if John, if Johnson wants to join the Ducks and uh, they still want more and they think that they have a really strong, if not the best shot at landing him. But I, I think it feels like Michigan's kind of in the driver's seat there just from what we've seen, you know, and kind of reading the tea leaves with more. Uh, pretty quiet guy that doesn't talk to a ton of reporters. So I personally haven't been able to talk to him yet, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but that that's kind of the feel that I have on it right now. And who knows, maybe this Texas A&M visit blows his mind. And then, you know, they're, they're looking uh, like they are in a good, a good spot for him. Cause when they offered Rashada, they were also offering um, Pierce Clarkson uh, who's committed to Louisville. They were offering just so many quarterbacks and, you know, it's Texas A&M, you know, the, the way that they've been recruiting, you know, one of the best classes I think ever in the history of 247, I believe in that 2022 class, you're going to listen. I think it was the best. Yeah. You're going to listen. If Texas A&M comes calling, they, uh, you know, they, they put themselves in a great spot with a lot of these great top level guys that are still on the market after losing the commitment from Eli Holstein the Louisiana quarterback who has since committed to Alabama and the Crimson Tide. So man, this is a, this is a really interesting deal for Oregon right now when it comes to uh, quarterback recruiting. But I, I would also kind of side with you as far as if you had your pick of the three guys, Dante Moore, Avery Johnson uh, and Ricky Collins, I feel like Dante's kind of that guy you want to go with, but I think whoever they end up getting, you want to get him as soon as you can. And I think we could really see that domino effect with just a bunch of big time guys, uh, you know, ready to kind of hop in the fold. Yeah. I wonder if, if any defensive players are, are as drawn to it as offensive players would be, you know, and, and that's been one of the impressive things about getting a guy like Jerry on Dickey or Kyler Casper or Ashton Cozart is you're, 
you're bringing in these athletes who, who project as good players and are highly sought after recruits and you're doing it without a quarterback commit. And that, that's usually where coaching staffs go first because that's because he's, you know, going to be the, the leader in theory of your team and the next, the, the next starting quarterback that tends to be the draw for other recruits, but Oregon hasn't needed that at this point in time. So I think that's good. And getting a quarterback would only bolster them from a recruiting standpoint. And, and I think that, it just opens up a lot of possibilities because I mean, we've been, at least I, I have been, I'm just, I don't know if everyone feels this way, but I imagine we all are, are pleased so far with the recruiting job that Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy, Kenny Dillingham, Junior Adams, Carlos Locke, and everybody, I, I assume we're all content at this point in time with, with the job that they have done during this off season. And they haven't even gotten the most important position yet. And so maybe there's another level that they can take and, you know, make a step forward again if they're able to get a, a big-time quarterback commit. But it, it's going to be tough for sure because I'm sure Notre Dame is still in the running, but A&M's a recruiting power. Michigan, of course, off a uh, college football playoff appearance, I, I think that's going to be, you know, uh, some pretty stiff competition on the recruiting trail. But the staff was uh, arguably assembled first and foremost to recruit, and so these are the sorts of battles you want to see them win. So, yeah, I think we talked about those three guys. I feel like it's really probably down to Moore and Johnson right now because you could talk about wanting to go to Oregon or being interested in Oregon, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't get out there. Now at this point, after this weekend, Avery Johnson and Dante Moore will both have taken official visits, so we can see that strong mutual interest. Last thing I want to hit on here on the quarterback situation, and then I wanted to get to uh, some questions that we got for you guys, some comments. Eric says, I want to plug and play five-star. So let's just kind of take this into account with the current situation that Oregon has in the quarterback room. Bo Nix looks like he's going to be the guy. Not He has not been named the starter. We want to be very clear about that. The coaches have not named him the starter, but just look at it, all the factors that are going in. I mean, you guys are familiar with them. Probably didn't come to Oregon to uh, you know sit and wait. Kind of a weird deal, though, because he has two years of eligibility. And then you have some guys that that look like they could be contributors with Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield. I am in the camp that Jay Butterfield looks like he kind of pushed himself a little bit ahead of Ty uh, after his performance at the spring game. Does that mean I'm not confident in Ty? Not at all. I'm just saying I feel like for what it's worth, I think Jay proved himself as someone who's right there in the conversation uh, for quarterback with with, with Oregon. But it looks like it's going to be Bo. And, you know, that's kind of what I feel like is going to happen just from what we've seen, what we've heard. But let's say that it's Bo has two years left. I wonder what what's going to happen if they do get a guy like Dante Moore, because it feels like I mean, I haven't seen him in person. So maybe you can attest this better than me. I didn't know that you were out there in Vegas until you came on the show. Um, I'm very jealous, by the way. That would have been sick to be at. It was fun. Um, it was really fun. But it feels like Dante is the guy more so than Avery that is maybe ready to play right away. Um, certainly has a little bit more of the college ready body. So what, what do you think from of this question from Eric wanting to plug and play five-star? I think it'll certainly help Oregon, but I don't think that it's absolutely vital after what we saw from a Jay Butterfield uh, at, at the spring game. I think plug and play five-stars are hard to come by at, at any position in terms of, you know, put them in and have them be, immediate impact guys because you you can put a five-star in right away Dante Manning is you know plug and play five-star but he hasn't had the sort of impact that 
that we've been hoping at, at this point in time. I think Moore is a more refined passer than than Avery Johnson at this point in time. That's the scouting report between the two of them, and, and Avery is certainly the better athlete. So in terms of which one you know could could maybe come in and play right away, I, I think that depends a lot on on Kenny Dillingham's offense because if the quarterback's going to be asked to run you know, quite a bit, then maybe Moore has to come in and bulk. He, he's not a, a slenderly built guy, but maybe he just has to, you know, learn the offense a little bit more and, and understand how to make those reads as a runner because he's a little bit more of just a pure thrower of the football, but maybe Dillingham can make that work. And he's not a bad athlete, but he's not at the level where Avery Johnson is. And, you know, Johnson, a guy who is not going to wow you with his arm strength. He, he is a little bit slim. So maybe, I think Moore is going to be a guy who's more prepared, no pun intended, to to play sooner when he gets to campus because Johnson, depending on how much he's able to bulk up this year for his final year of high school football, I think has some arm strength to add and also has a little bit of passing refinement that he needs to to undergo to to reach his full potential as a quarterback. Um, I, I assume that the question was asking purely about the, the, the quarterback position in terms of a plug and play five star. But, it, you know, I, I just think that it's easy to get enamored with, with these guys because they show so many great things. And as I said, I'm really impressed with Dante Moore and what I've seen and having talked to him and, you know, the way uh, Cam Newton talked about him as well. There it was just a lot of stuff to like there. But if he were to commit to Oregon, would I say that he you know, needs to to be the starter immediately in 2023? Uh, no, not necessarily. I think that it's an option. And if he's ready and he's the best quarterback who's going to give you the best chance to win, then then go for it. But if he's not, then I, I don't see the, the benefit of, you know, putting a guy out there just because he was a big-time recruit. Ty Thompson was a big-time recruit. If we put him on the field as a starter last year, what's Oregon, a 7-5 and five team? Probably. I mean, like he, he's not ready to play at, the, at this point in time. So you can't always know that stuff, too, until you see him in, in practice once they get there. And, and, you know, because another thing you have to remember. Not everybody's ready to play right away. Herbert did not play right away. He took over midseason. He had a good. He had good, to. Well, well, yeah, but he, he had a good amount of growth that he had to undergo. That, that he ultimately, you know, was able to successfully do by the time he was a senior and he was a better quarterback, but he didn't play right away. And Mariota, by the way, sat for an entire year. The best player in the history of the program. See how I got that pronunciation right the first time, Max? That's because I'm just oh, yeah. a little bit more dedicated. Than you. I'm just I'm just kidding. But uh, the best player in the history of the program sat for an entire year. And so this expectation of, no, I want a guy who's going to be able to come in and start right away. Like maybe Mariota doesn't become Mariota if he, if he has to come in and play right away. But the good news is he didn't have to. And we had a really good quarterback there and Darren Thomas uh, ahead of him. So I, I, I think that that expectation is a little bit misguided of, you know, I want to plug and play five-star. Like if a guy is good enough to do that, like a Trevor Lawrence, then great. That that's fantastic. Then then throw him throw him in there and let him make some mistakes, but also let him showcase his talents and whatnot. But if he's not ready, I don't see why you need to rush the process. Yeah, fair fair point. I think 
I think the last point that I want to have here on just the, the quarterback picture in 23, and then obviously this, this uh, directly affects Oregon's current quarterback picture. I feel like I've kind of been going back and forth a little bit on the transfer portal with quarterbacks. I think that they're the most volatile position in college football, right? You know, I think that there was already the narrative there. If I can't play right away, I'm going to go somewhere else. That doesn't apply to every quarterback by any means. Um, I, I think, you know, you see Ty Thompson still at Oregon, which is, which is a good sign for the ducks, but I've, I've kind of been bouncing back and forth as far as just what approach is healthier for the long term uh, with, with, with the, with the program is, is, do you want to go the high school route or does it matter? I, if you have a guy in the portal that can come in and just light the world on fire, like Jalen Hurts transferring from Bama to, to Oklahoma, you know, do you just take that risk and get a transfer guy? And then, I, I mean, let's be real. I feel like, I don't know. If, I don't know if you want to say stifle the development of your prep guys or your younger guys because you just talked yourself. You just made a really good point about how it might have been better that Mariota didn't play right away at Oregon. But for Oregon, they're in a tricky spot because you've taken the gamble on these transfer quarterbacks so much. Like I think too much, in my opinion. Um, but you've had some that worked out. Look at Vernon Adams. If he didn't get hurt, who knows where Oregon would have. That's a college football. That's a college football playoff team. I have made that claim time and again. I will make it till the end of time. Vernon Adams doesn't hurt his finger. I think they not only beat Michigan State. I think they even if they lose Michigan State, it might still be a college football playoff team. But I think they probably win that game. He doesn't hurt his finger. That team goes back to the playoff. It was loaded. Yeah. So and then here's Mikey G's it's kind of echoing my kind of conundrum. I guess you know long term doesn't really seem to be a thing anymore. You have to win and win now. Too much on the line. Not the last of which our coach, at uh, least last of which, least of which our coaching least jobs. Of which, yeah. Um, might might have a little typo there, but um, I just feel like for Oregon, yeah, you want to win now, but they've been taking transfers so often right now that the last prep guy that we got to see was was Tyler Shuck, who who had his moments but was very up and down, and then Herbert only got on the field because Dakota Prukop was a nightmare. I mean, let's just call it what it was. Uh, he I, wasn't a nightmare. He just wasn't that good. He wasn't that bad. I mean, it just he, Herbert was let's on the say, field let's, because uh, of necessity. Matt, let, 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 let's save the word nightmare for Braxton Burmeister at quarterback. Sure. Okay, that 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 was that was a nightmare. Dakota Prukop wasn't a nightmare. He just was like, nah. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, he very mediocre. Maybe that's yeah. a better. Like, more it, like when the season was going the way it was, yeah, it was time to make the switch. Like that was that was that was the right thing to do because you didn't have anything to lose at that point in time. But he wasn't like all 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 bad. But anyway, finish your point. Yeah. So I'm just I, I think I'm kind of going back and forth as far as the transfer portal goes. But I think it's just it's I feel like for for you know how I've seen Oregon play, where I've seen them go, I would personally like to see them. Okay. Yeah. Mikey G. I also mentioned Chuck. I don't know. It was it was it was definitely deer in the headlights uh, a, a lot of the times with 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 Chuck. Um, I don't know. A, if, he wasn't a nightmare. That I, I don't think. I, I, I don't think I called him a nightmare. I, I I said that about about Prukop, but I'm I'm dialing it back a little bit. Maybe that was a little bit uh, too harsh of a word to say. But yeah, I think ideally, if Bo is the starter, he plays one season, then he makes his best shot at the NFL, right? And then you have a chance to work from Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, and whoever you get in 23, 
right? I think that's kind of an ideal situation for Oregon um, because you want to have one of these prep guys get a shot. I feel like that's that's kind of what they need right now. So that, that's kind of the last thing that I wanted to say as far as the, the quarterback conversation. They're still in the running for some really good guys, but uh, I'd personally like to see them maybe not go the, the transfer portal route as much as they have in the past. Although admittedly, I think it was the right move with the situation that they currently had because the quarterbacks that they had on the roster when this new staff came in hadn't played any football. Who, who wants to start their season with a completely unproven quarterback room uh, as, as appealing as the potential might be? I think it was the smart move and the safe move to get a transfer guy that has proven he can play at a high level. So I, I understand the general sentiment and, you know, I've seen this from Oregon fans on, on my show and all over the place as well. It, it's totally understandable about people want a homegrown quarterback, right? It feels more authentic. It does give you a long-term solution, right? Because if you're doing it right, then a guy's going to start for you for at least two, if not, you know, three or in Herbert's case, uh, four years. Unfortunately, one of them, of course, uh, cut short by an injury because we were running the ball with our quarterback inside the five yard line with Royce Freeman in the backfield for reasons that I still can't figure out anyway. I'm over it. Um, I think that the, the desire for that is, is very fair. But when you look at Oregon, I, I think right now, you know, the, the Bo Nix coming in was a perfect storm because I think if Cristobal and that staff had stayed, I don't think they go the transfer route. I think they choose, between Ty and Jay, but they just felt that they were not ready a season to go, which they were not. And one, uh, one guy's asked a question, or I guess made the comment that that I want to push back on here. He said Ty proved he was better than AB last year in the Stony Brook game. I just hope Bo is no longer Bo. No, but Spring Game says he's not improved from his bad decisions. So here's a couple of things there. Last year, I know Anthony Brown was not good. It was frustrating to watch at times because he would make some really bad throws. However, he was still better than what Ty Thompson was a season ago because he was not right. Now, if you want to put that on the coaching staff for not being able to develop him to the point or have him in a place as a quarterback where he is able to showcase his full array of talents, that that's an understandable and I think fair probably correct criticism especially now that what we've seen with herbert in the nfl compared to what he was in college i think that's totally totally valid there but ty thompson you know the limited stuff that we saw he did not look ready his pocket presence wasn't there he didn't make great reads he does have the big arm but you know the the colorado game even right ty thompson went into the game but then anthony brown had to come back in to to save and make sure that it was going to be a win that that's a moment where if you're really that close to the guy ahead of you, he doesn't have to come back in the game to save it. But Ty, you know, was a little shaky through a really bad interception where he made a bad read, then forced to throw and threw it behind, like just all freshman growing pains and mistakes that you expect a young quarterbacks, a, a, a young quarterback to make. And I'm not going out here and saying Anthony Brown was good. He, he was not, but, if you start Ty Thompson last year and and don't play Anthony Brown, you do not beat Ohio State, and you certainly do not win 10 games and get to the Pac-12 championship game. That's maybe an eight-win season at, at best based on what we've seen because you know Brown is a, was a much better runner than, uh, than Ty Thompson is, and that was a big part of what Moorhead wanted to do offensively. 
Uh, and then the second part of, of the comment there, hope that Bo is no longer Bo No, but spring game says he's not improved. So he does have this reputation, Bo Nix, and, and he has earned it in his career at, at Auburn of you know being a guy who can be a little reckless, who can turn the ball over, make a bad decision. The interception he threw was bad. I don't expect him to completely get rid of that. I'll just throw this statistic out there at you. He was only completing about 61, 62% of his passes before he got injured this past season at Auburn. His touchdown to interception ratio was almost four to one. If he comes to Oregon this year and his TD to interception ratio is almost four to one, I will be thrilled if we get that version of Bo Nick. So I think he has done some maturing from when we first saw him as a freshman down at the at, at Jerry's World at the neutral site game. But I, I just think that you have to consider a lot of things when looking at a quarterback and how ready he is to play because Ty Thompson clearly was not. Now, should Ty Thompson have played in the bowl game? Yeah, that was I, – I, I was screaming for that on my couch too, Duck fans. That was pretty infuriating. You you had a staff that had gone – like the second half of the Pac-12 championship game even. There, there was no reason to put Anthony Brown out. There. Like how could it possibly have, have gotten worse? So – I agree there were moments where he should have seen the field and gotten some reps and had the chance to show what he could do. But the few opportunities we did see of that, I wouldn't say he lit it up to the point where I was like, oh, may maybe we should just go ahead and and start him because he came in, he looked really raw, and I, I didn't want it to be Anthony Brown, but he was the best option it looked like we had at the time. And you know we didn't see a lot of Butterfield either last season, or I don't think we saw even any of – of Jay Butterfield Harley. I think we've just seen him in the spring game. I could be wrong on, on that, but I, I think there's a lot of things you have to consider. And just because a guy's a highly rated quarterback recruit doesn't mean he's ready to hit his ceiling as a player. And I think rushing him into action there is a mistake. Yeah. I, I think another thing too, that maybe one of the points that I would throw out there uh, just to wrap up this conversation before we get to some other questions. Um, I mean, hey, stuff stuff always gets crazy when we talk about quarterbacks, right? It's the most important position on the field, and and I think you know the recent play for, for Morgan has left it a little bit to be desired, to uh, put it kindly. Um, I mean, as bad as Anthony Brown was at times last year, I think he does get uh, you know more criticism than he probably deserved. He led the Pac-12 in passing. I mean, that I think that that says a couple different things. I talked about the quality of quarterbacks in the conference, but maybe his he didn't perform as poorly as, you know, some people thought. They still won 10 games, right? But we don't have to talk about him too much because he's not here anymore, and now we're focused on 2022 and beyond. I think for as little action as Jay Butterfield has seen, I thought I, – I, I think he looks a little bit better than Ty right now. But, I mean, maybe we could see things uh, see things change after, uh, after fall camp, and um, maybe we see some of these other guys that aren't named Bo Nix get some – get some snaps in that non-conference slate. But I saw a comment about, you know, uh, Ty maybe getting his first start against Georgia, which is, is definitely a, a tough deal, but um, yeah, you can't, you can't throw, you can't throw a kid into the fire like that. It's just, that's not going to do anything for him. That's just going to shatter his confidence. You're playing a road game at the defending national champs who have lost a lot of players. Sure. But they're still loaded with five stars on that defense. They still have Kirby smart as their head coach that's not a game where you want Ty Thompson to, to have to go out there and start. That's asking way too much. All right. Yeah. I mean, I mean Mariota's Mariota's first game was against Arkansas state. That was a nice layup to introduce him to college football. And then everything took off. He, he 
surely would have been good anyway, of course, but I, I'd rather have have his first start come against an opponent that's not Georgia on the road. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, I mean, quarterback's going to be a fun position to watch for, for Oregon, and then a lot of new faces in the Pac-12 as well. You got Caleb Williams at SC. You got Emory Jones at ASU. Jaden DeLora moving to Arizona. I think that's kind of one of my favorite moves of the offseason uh, in the Pac-12, but let's switch it up and get into a little bit of the mailbag, uh, live viewer questions, because um, I want to get you guys more involved. Um, and then, Spencer, let me know on time. I mean, maybe like 15 or 20 minutes. I, this is like the longest show I've done, to be honest. Um, but I just I'm really digging it and having a good time. Where, where are you at with time? Um, I don't have a social life. Duck fans are my social life. <laughs> OK, fair, fair enough. Uh, why, I, I know I have some other things I need to get to today. Uh, like that visitor list story for this weekend that I meant that I alluded to earlier, but let's, let's try to get to some of these. And uh, so just another call to action for you guys. If you got questions, throw them at us in the comments. Uh, this one, I, I put out a call to action on Twitter uh, about uh, questions for this. And my guy, Mikey G tweeted it, tweeted right. at me um, with a, with a fun question. He said, which Dan would you most want to have a beer with Dan Fouts, Danny O'Neill, or Dan Lanning, hashtag Ducks Dish. Big thank you for throwing the hashtag on there uh, as we, uh, you know, continue to push out the brand and, and you know, building up the podcast. Um, I think I'm dating myself a little bit here because I didn't know who Danny O'Neill was when I uh, first uh, first read the uh, question. Uh, I know that Dan Fouts is a legendary Oregon quarterback, but I don't know. I'm, I, I'd, it'd be fun to get to know Dan Lanning a little bit more, uh, you know, as, as the, the new head coach at Oregon. So maybe a basic answer, but I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Dan Lanning. Maybe you have a different answer because you've uh, you've been following the Ducks for a while. Spencer, what do you think? You know, I, I'm not trying to uh, cast dispersions at the new leader of our program here, but I, I'm going to go with, with Dan Fouts. You know, I, I do uh, Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12 as well um but for those of you who don't know my other job is uh, i'm a play-by-play guy so you know dan fouts has done a lot of games on on cbs for for the nfl for a long time he's a great analyst too he does a lot of games with ian eagle who is tremendous as a play-by-play guy so i, I think for me personally i'd go with fouts because you got the oregon connection you know i'd want to ask him about all that sort of stuff and you know, the, the growth uh, of the program now and everything that that's gone on there. But, you know, I, I'd want to pick his brain about broadcasting as well and what it's like to, to be up in that booth and what his, what his preparation looks like. So I, I, I'd go with Dan Fouts. Um, I, I'd enjoy getting a beer with any of those guys or just like talking to any of them for, I don't know, five minutes. But if we were able to sit down and do it and I had my choice, I, I'd go with Dan Fouts. Okay. All right. Dan Fouts. There we go. Okay. So we have, uh, it's nice to have different, uh, different answers here. Um, I've been kind of scrolling back through cause we were getting a lot of questions before we got to this portion of the show. So you guys have to bear with me. Um, so I can, so I can find it. Sorry, uh, about this. Just bear with me while I look for this question. Cause I know which one I'm thinking about, but I just want to get it here so we can have it on the screen. You guys have been awesome. Just throwing the comments uh, and questions our way throughout the show. Um, Cause it was a, it was a Mario Cristobal and Dan Lane, like comparison question that I thought was really interesting. Um, okay, oh, was on. it the one, the one about who's getting to the playoff first Cristobal at Miami or landing at Oregon? Yeah, I think, I think that's what it was. I was just trying to confirm what the actual, 
question was, um, uh, shoot, I know I had it, man. Um, I think that was, I think that was the question. I remember. Now, of course I can't, now, of course I can't find it, but yeah, let's, let's go there. So two, two, uh, two head coaches in new places. Mario Cristobal goes back home to Coral Gables to head up the Canes program, try to restore them to their former glory. Things have not been going well for them in the ACC, uh, which I think is is one of the weaker Power Five conferences. But I think we'll be in agreement when we say that the Pac-12 is the worst of the five uh, Power Five conferences. Yeah. So who's more likely to make it to the playoffs? Is it going to be Mario Cristobal or Dan Lanning? I think I'm going to go Lanning, even though he's a first-time head coach. I just I don't think that we've necessarily seen the on-field, uh, you know. Uh, coaching acumen from from Crystal Ball as much as we want to, uh, you know, during his time at Oregon, you know, the the trench play was was awesome on on the uh, offensive side of the ball, but I don't know. I think I feel like it was kind of trending in the you know direction with college football that you just have to have an offense that can score more points than the next. But Georgia showed us that defense does in fact still win championships, and I think that. Uh, Dan Lanning has has inspired a lot of confidence and being able to get the most out of this Oregon roster. And not only that, keep it stocked with just tons of options. I think that, that Dan Lanning inherits a better situation than Mario Cristobal. I don't feel like that's too crazy to say. Um, things have just not been going well for Miami and and uh, has a better roster. I think Oregon has a better roster. That's not uh, That's not too crazy to say either. I don't know why I keep just watering down my takes and just stop saying that. But, um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with, with Dan Lanning, even though he's a first-year head coach. I think that the Pac-12 uh, is maybe a little bit more winnable since you don't have to go up against a team like Clemson. Sure, there's USC that has all the hype in the world, but they haven't done a dang thing as far as uh, on-field production since Lincoln Riley took over. But that's not their fault. They haven't played anything yet. But Oregon is more of a sure product right now than USC is because we haven't had a game yet in the 2022 season. Yeah, I, I got to give a quick shout out to uh, to our guy Andrew in the chat here. That guy is not not pulling any punches, and I'm just I'm so here for it. Um, I, I've been seeing your comments, Andrew, and I, I love it. So, I, I think Mario Cristobal and Lincoln Riley are actually in really similar spots. They're going to take over big time coastal programs who have been at the focal point, at the at the epicenter of college football in their heyday, and they're trying to get back there. And that is exactly why each coach was hired to their respective schools. However, the reason that, that I'd agree with you, Max, about it being landing at Oregon before Chris Ball at Miami is because Chris Ball is the same challenge that Lincoln Riley has. You have to build it back up. It is down. Oregon is off of a disappointing 10-win season. Any Miami fan right now would pay a lot of NIL money to go under the table or be above the table or whatever, to have a disappointing 10 win season and to be in that place as a program. And so, you know, we we know that Chris ball is capable of recruiting, changing a roster, bringing in big time players and changing a culture around a program as well. We saw him do that over the last four seasons, the head coach with the ducks, but that stuff takes time. I mean, think back to Chris ball's first year, as uh, as the head coach it was a nine and four season which was a good year but then it was the next year where uh where, where oregon was able to to make a jump right where they then got to the rose bowl and were within probably you know a third and 16 stop of 
perhaps getting to the college football playoff and such. So that sort of stuff takes more time and you have to turn it around. And I, I think Cristobal is capable of doing that, even though schematically may be limited in college football. Recruiting is what, 70, 80 percent of the battle. I mean, I'm pretty sure the only reason Oregon won 10 games a season ago is because the offensive line was just better than everybody on the other side. That's that is basically it. I mean, if you take if you make Oregon's offensive line average in the Pac-12, it's probably an eight win team. But because it was well above average, it was a 10 win team. And so I, I think that it's just, you know, Oregon as a program is further along in in that development of getting to that level than Miami is. And so we still have to see whether or not Dan Lanning has the the chops to be a, a head coach. And the early indicators are that he does. But you have to do it on the field at some point. You can't just win recruiting battles, though those are important. You have to be able to show up on Saturdays and, and be able to win. And, you know, the, the idea that Oregon's going to be a defensively oriented team, I understand that. And I, I think that's probably true. But just keep in mind, Nick Saban's a defensive head coach, too. And when they won the national championship two years ago, and when they got to the national championship last year, whomst among us would say it was the defense driving the team to that spot. It was Mac Jones with Devontae Smith, two of the three Heisman finalists. And then this past, you know, these past couple of years, it's been Bryce Young and all the guys they've had. And, you know, the John Mechies and Jamison Williams and Najee Harris's of the world and all those sorts of guys. So just because you have a defensive head coach doesn't mean you can't be really good offensively. Uh, but I, I think that between those those two schools, Oregon and Miami, the Ducks are further along in terms of the, the, the roster and the you know potential to be that sort of team. And, and Miami's just you know probably a couple of years away if Mario recruits the way we expect him to, and it looks like he is. Yeah, I think I, I was. I feel like I've said this too. Like I think one of my mistakes as a writer last year was watering down some of my takes more than I wanted to when Oregon wasn't performing up to the standard and I don't want to just sound like I'm bashing Mario because that's not the case at all he, he's the the only coach that I've ever covered so I think I'm learning a lot as I go here but we shot we saw how far recruiting can take you in a good way and in a bad way we saw the limitations that it presents you can have awesome recruits all you want but if those guys can't contribute when it matters most when you're going up against the Ohio States of the world when you're going up against Utah who is still criminally underrated in my opinion, even after winning the Pac-12 title, like they are here to stay. I thought there was some, some chatter that Kyle Whittingham was going to retire after last season, but yeah, I don't was. believe, there, there I don't believe that's the case anymore. And, and, you know, I think that he's really got a really rock solid blueprint in place there. So um, the fact that we didn't see those adjustments was, was against in both Utah games was just ridiculous, but I want to acknowledge D-Rock Irish's comment here. Miami has to go through North Carolina State, North Carolina, and Clemson. He says, I think it will be landing at the Pac-12 at the, in the Pac-12 over Cristobal at Miami. So I feel like we're both kind of on the same page here. I think it's still a good question because yeah, it is. Mario has a, a, a they, Mario and Lenny both have awesome track records with with recruiting. But I think that even though Danny Lenny, like you're saying, like even though Lenny's a, head, a defensive head coach, like look at the pieces they have in place on offense, both with players, with coaches, Junior Adams, I think it's just, every time I hear about the guy now, it's just rave reviews, even though we haven't seen it yet necessarily at Oregon, aside from the spring game. He's, you know, just getting all these huge receivers now that he has a brand like Oregon behind him to recruit with. I think that's a big part of it. Kenny Dillingham, 
a little bit more of an unproven coach just because he's so young. But there was obviously some very encouraging signs from his time at Memphis and, and at Florida State. So definitely some reason to be excited there. But um, yeah, I think that, that that's a, a great question that I'm glad we got to to hit on here. There's another one that I wanted to get to here. So let me just scroll up to find it. I know I'm, I, I'm not- I do. I do want to make one comment on D rock Irish's uh, comment about, you know, Miami's got to go through NC state, North Carolina and Clemson. I, I wouldn't exactly consider that a gauntlet of college football teams. I mean, that's pretty compare. I think if you're looking at the path in terms of what teams you have to go through in your conference, it's probably, it's probably easier at Miami going forward now that Lincoln Riley's at USC. Like you're talking two years from now, uh, you know, maybe even this year. I think we'll see. I think the Trojans could maybe go ten and two because their schedule is pretty easy. Uh, they they don't have that many tough. I think they only have three games where you could look at and go like, oh, I I think they would probably lose that game. But uh, again, they're in two years. It's not going to be that way. I I don't imagine. And I mean. The ACC is a step above the Pac-12, but it's it's more like a baby step than uh, than a flight of stairs. Because I was, I did my first episode of the Pac-12 Takeover podcast, my Pac-12 podcast. We both have Pac-12 podcasts, which is cool. I preview USC, and I said eight and four as my record prediction. And then you have mm-hmm. USC fans coming at me like, "Are you kidding me? Ten and two, eleven and one." I'm like you have so much that you have to change. Like you can only overhaul yeah. so much in one off season. Like I, I agree that there's reason for optimism, but I mean, come on, like how much do you, you think they're going to like, feel like pump the brakes on them being like a playoff contender in their first year. No, I, no, I don't, I don't see playoff contender there, but I don't know if I could go eight and four. Cause here's the thing. Their schedule, like I said, is not very hard. I mean, they're non-conference. They open with rice, which is a type of food. So, like that's a. I think they're, I think they're favored by thirty five. That's a win. I don't. Rem- I'd have to look at. Uh, actually, I want. I want to look that up now. Um, the, their non conference is not very hard. And it, when, when you look at their, um, when you look at their schedule, you only really see. I think three games where you could, where, where you'd go into it saying, "Oh yeah, they're probably going to lose it." They go Rice. They get Fresno State at home, and then their other non-conference is Notre Dame. And they get Notre Dame at home as well. But they have to go at Utah and at UCLA. To me, those are games that I very easily see them losing. I I think between UCLA, Utah, and and Notre Dame, you've got three games where the Trojans could pretty reasonably lose, and you know it wouldn't be that surprising. However, do I think they're going to lose all of them? Probably not. I, I bet they go one and two. I think we need to see, you know, how teams are, are playing and how they're looking this year to figure out, you know, what that one win might be. But getting two of those or, or having two of those games on the road makes it tougher for them. But the reason I have them at nine and three is like I look at those three games and I'm like, okay, they're probably going to win one. And then I bet you they lose a game somewhere that we don't expect them to. Because you never, or almost never, win every game that you're expected to. I mean, who picked Alabama to lose to Texas A&M last year? And that's Alabama. And this is a one-year, you know, a takeover at this point in time for Lincoln Riley and USC. And they do have a lot of things from cha- to change from a roster and, and a cultural standpoint. And so I think they'll be able to score plenty of points. I mean, they didn't struggle to do that 
a, a season ago and their offensive line is some decent pieces. I think their defense is, you know, where the questions are, the secondary and the defensive line in particular are, I think probably the biggest glaring weaknesses uh, of the team at this point in time. And so I just look at a team like Utah or UCLA and I'm like, they might be able to just kind of run all over them. And so you're going to be in shootouts there potentially. And so I, I, I think USC will be good. I'd be surprised if they go eight and four, because I think that means you're losing those three games and then another one to maybe like a Wazoo or a Stanford. And I, I, I think that's, unlikely though though not impossible but they'll be well over 500 oh no doubt definitely over 500 yeah i think the games against notre dame and um uh utah are are the two most likely losses that i see um i'm not saying that they're blowouts but i don't have as hard of a time as projecting those as possible losses ucla i mean anytime you play ucla like that's still kind of a home game even if you have to to go to uh the rose bowl um, you know, those are the US, USC fans are probably going to show up for that game. But yeah, the true. other the other loss that I could potentially see that you, you didn't mention too much, um, not to talk too much about USC here, but I think we're having some good broader talk. Oregon State, they got to yeah. go up to Corvallis, man. And, and, and they're really finding their footing under Jonathan Smith. I, I think that they're probably the most likely number two team in the north right now um and they for, beat for and they, they did they did beat usc a season ago though it's a different team and, and there is history of usc struggling at oregon state and i know it's a completely different team and it was a long time ago but that sort of stuff matters in corvallis like we, we all know that sort of stuff matters like oregon and stanford play crazy games just happens when we go down to the desert weird stuff tends to happen it, it all started with Dennis Dixon's knee, but it's been one thing after another where we've just dropped some duds in the desert for no reason in particular, just the way that that, that sports work out sometimes. The thing that you have to remember with Oregon State, though, is their stadium is going to be, I think, like 25-ish percent capacity this year because they're remodeling Risa, right? They tore it down and they blew, you know, blew it up and everything. And that was that hilarious... Uh, hilarious, playful jab from Utah State after, because they posted the video of Oregon State or Oregon State did of you know blowing up the the stands essentially and like starting it all over. And it was after they'd lost to the Aggies in the bowl game. And Utah State football said, "Geez, guys, it was just a bowl game." Uh, <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was pretty pretty darn good. But having a limited crowd, I don't think you can take that lightly when, when you're talking about trying to to beat Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams there. And, you know, I know that Corvallis fans are, are going to to pack it as much as they can, but not being able to have a, a, a full consortium of fans there, I think is going to have an impact as well. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, a, a good, a good point. But I think even if they can't have all that crowd there, like the energy around it is just, they're, they're doing things the right way. And I mean, they're a school that definitely needs that, that, uh, you know, positive, some positive, uh, you know, on field results, but I'm, I'm excited about them this year. Uh, w- without a doubt, we're definitely getting some funny comments is probably what you're laughing at. Yeah. The North, uh, the north and South. <laughs> also here. peace out D rock Irish. Always, always happy to have uh, fans of other teams in there, but, um, <laughs> yeah Dwayne said I thought there were no more north and south and Mikey G said geographically north and south so north and south still exists 
Um, to answer your question, Dwayne, uh, North and South are still in place as Pac-12 divisions for now. They just don't matter anymore. You're going to take the two teams with the highest conference winning percentage and put them in the championship game in Las Vegas this December, where I hope to be going once again. Um, and I think eventually you'll see the divisions go away. But right now there's a, a scheduling structure to how divisions factor into the, the the way that teams figure out who they're going to play. And so I think they're just keeping that for now until they figure out what sort of scheduling model they want to go to in the future. Yeah. And then just to, to answer Dwayne's question, when does fall camp start? No official date yet, but last year it was like mid August, um, mid to early August, I think is what it was. Um, so we'll, we'll keep you guys updated on, on when that, uh, that officially comes in. The last question that I want to answer for today um, let me scroll back and find it because I keep scrolling too much. Um, was a recruiting question that I'm pretty excited about. So give me a second to find this here because it's going to be easier to find than the last one. So let's see. Come on. I literally just saw it not too long ago. Why does this keep happening to me? Andrew, I think we're allowed to refer to it as the game formerly known as the Civil War. Because then you're not you're not calling it that. You're saying it was formerly known as that, which is very true. So I <laughs> I wonder if that's okay. I got you. Yeah, we're still waiting for a new name for that. But the rivalry game, I don't know. We'll we'll see what they end up uh, officially calling it. Hopefully, they come out with something for it this year. That one always coming after uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, Gary's question here: Five star Richard Young is going on a visit next week into Oregon. What is the chance that Oregon lands him? I think that. Uh, much like Dante Moore, I think that Richard Young has become much more of a realistic possibility for Oregon. Anytime you pull a guy all the way out from Florida, it's going to be really tough. He's been to Florida so many times on visits. I feel like the other two schools to watch here have to be um, Alabama and Florida. Uh, I believe he's taking his Georgia official right now, uh, if, if that's correct. Yeah, it looks like he is indeed in Athens for his official visit this weekend. So defending national champions, they're obviously going to be able to give him a great pitch, but I know that Carlos Lachlan's done a good job in this recruitment. And he's another guy that came out for an unofficial on his own dime uh, earlier this, uh, this spring. So I feel like they have a really good chance here. Maybe I shouldn't say really good. I a realistic chance, I think is maybe a, a better answer. Uh, you had another guy, Jeremiah love a running back out of Missouri that was recently on campus. I know the ducks really like him. So Richard Young is going to be a, a big name to watch for Oregon with, with that big visit coming up next weekend. No, a, no decision date yet, but man, being able to pair Richard Young with Dante Dowdell would be pretty insane. Uh, I, th I think that uh, if they aren't able to get Richard Young, you know, you definitely want to guy, have a guy that can kind of be a good thunder and lightning compliment to Dowdell. Yeah. And I, I think Oregon's got plenty of those sorts of backs. And if Richard Young were to commit to Oregon, then Prior to the 2023 season, we would have some transfers out of the backfield because there'd just be too many guys there. Um, I, I I would love to get Richard Young. Don't get me wrong. I, I just don't see how we can make the best pitch to him at this point in time because you look at the guys that Oregon has brought in. Bucky Irving from Minnesota. All right, so he has played one year of college football. He's He's got three left. And then Noah Whittington has played one year of college football, so, so he's got three left. And, and Byron Cardwell 
has you know played one year culture so he's got three like there are just so many bodies in that room who could be there for a, a good amount of time now if dollars has a big year and pops maybe he decides to go to the nfl and that opens up a slot but you've got dowdell you have to remember jordan james is in that mix as well so i, I just think there's so many guys there that you know would young be the most talented of them probably yeah i think he's a little bit faster a little bit more agile version of uh, of Dante Dowdell, who I think is a Royce Freeman style of runner. But I, I just would be surprised if Oregon got him because I don't know the situation of every other running back room of the schools that, that he's considering. But I, I think in short order, Carlos Lachlan and the staff have really shored up the running back position for the next, you know, a couple of years because they, they've just, they've brought in all this talent, but they, they've brought in young guys as well. I mean, Who's the most experienced ball carrier that Oregon has right now? Byron Cardwell, who went into last season as a number three, because it's not Sean Dollars. It, well, it's Bucky Irving, maybe. Yeah, it's probably Bucky Irving. So a guy who has played one year of, of college football. And, you know, from one standpoint, that's exciting. From another, it's, you know, maybe a little bit more of a question mark than, than we're thinking. I mean, I, I like what Cardwell shows. I love Dollars the most. And, and then all the other guys – you know, I, I've talked about them on my show. I, I think they all show some really, really good qualities there. But the, the room is just so crowded. And, you know, John Garcia, director of recruiting for SI, has told me that uh, he's talked with with Richard before. And from what he understands, that he's not the sort of guy who's going to be turned away by competition. But I just look at it from a, a volume standpoint. And that, that's that's just a lot of guys who could be on campus for several years, two of whom are transfers and would have to get waivers or have to sit out a year if they were going to leave uh, again. So, you know, obviously you're going after the best players you can find, but, you know, running back tends to be a position where you come in, if you're a highly rated recruit, you play right away like Royce Freeman did, like Thomas Tyner did, like LaMichael did when, when he was a freshman as well. And, you know, I, I just think that that's uh, – well, he got the opportunity after Blunt punched the guy, of course, but um, but 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 the point stands. That, that's not one that typically needs a ton of development. You, you typically play right away, so I'd be surprised if he comes to Oregon, but it'd be a welcome surprise for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a similar situation. Uh, I liken it to maybe like a a David Hicks situation where like the Ducks have a shot, but I don't think that they're leaders right now. I would probably say I'm more confident in David Hicks maybe than Richard Young. It's it's tough. I, I mean, I. I I just got yeah. back. From the I, trip, I'd, so ra- I'd, I'd rather have I'd rather have Hicks than Young. Like if I had to choose between those two, there's not just, as much of a need. Yeah, it's it's not as much of a need. Defensive line, 100 percent is because Dorless has gone after this year. I think Popo's got one more, doesn't he? No, he's a 2017 guy. This would be his oh, last okay. one. Okay, so so Popo and Dorless are gone. So you're gonna have a big need on the interior of that defensive line. If I were the Oregon staff, I'd say, look, Richard, if this is the place you really want to come, then by all means, let's do it. But I think if you're talking about where are you going to put your uh your efforts right now on the recruiting trail i think you go to a guy like hicks or or david wayne or, or Jaden wayne or mateo Uyunglele. yeah no doubt about it i think you certainly just want to stack that room any room with as much talent as you possibly can yeah. but running back is a, a room is that ha- has always been stacked and there hasn't been this much of an opportunity for a new guy to emerge in four five years at, at Oregon just because it's always been Travis Dye and CJ Riddell for, for the past while so yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually write a new feature just about how open the running back room is at Oregon but man we're we're almost at uh two hours for this one but I think Time we're flies. gonna kind of we're gonna we're gonna wind down here on, on this episode of the pod 
Um, before we get out of here, Spencer, just want to give you a, a chance to, to plug, you know, where people can find you and, and more of your work because we love having you on. Yeah, of course. Uh, by the way, Andrew, the uh, game formerly known as the Civil War was on ESPN uh, this this past year. Uh, and I, I think kind of usually is on the past. It's been on Pac-12 before, but it was on ESPN this this past year. Just I, I just saw that. But, uh, but yeah, at Smalls underscore 55 is my my Twitter handle at Locked on Ducks is the Twitter account for my show. And, you know, pumping out plenty of content over there. A little bit more lax during the, the summer months since, you know, news and information and uh, storylines and whatnot are not quite as free flowing. But, you know, during the during the season, starting back up in August, it's every day. And I, I try to put out as much as I can, you know, during the, the summer months. And it's on YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcasts as well. Max comes on, you know, probably a, a couple times a month. But, you know, a lot of it is just... Uh, it's just me talking over there. I have other guests who come on the show as well. John Garcia is great. He comes on every week. We talk about all these sorts of recruits, but yeah, man, it's it's fun to come on and I'd love to do it again. And by the way, thank all of you for, for being active and engaging in the comments. It makes it a lot more fun for us when, when you're part of the show and we can just answer, you know, directly what's on your mind and you can send me questions as well. Get them answered on, on my show uh this time of year definitely definitely open to to that sort of stuff so uh by by all means find a way to to reach out ask a question about the ducks or anything else frankly and i'll probably give you an answer but max this was a ton of fun man we got to do it again yeah no we absolutely have to and we will um big thank you to spencer for coming on if you guys want to find more of me you can follow me on twitter at mtaurus sports that name right there on your screen you can find more of my written content which often includes the latest recruiting insider interviews with some of Oregon's top targets on the recruiting trail. And then obviously we're going to have football coming up here before you guys know it in, in August. So definitely check out and subscribe to ducksdigest.com. And then kindly ask that you like and subscribe to my YouTube channel here at Oregon football, Max Taurus. And then big favor to ask you guys just share the show, share it with fans, uh, family, just uh, any anyone you can. Uh, we're really just trying to grow the show, grow the community. Really appreciate all the support from everyone. Had an absolute blast on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. We'll be back again. I'm going to try to go tomorrow. Why not um, for another episode? But uh, appreciate everyone tuning in, and we will catch you guys in the next episode. Take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.